0: This episode of the Tome Show is brought to you by Skull Splitter Dice. Be the envy of your party with the best dice in the realms. Listeners like you, thanks for using the Tome's Amazon and DM's Guild affiliate links, and our wonderful patrons over at patreon.com slash Show. Welcome to the Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And in this episode, number 325, we're going to weave a story quilt out of the bits and pieces of our player, that our players bring to the table as we talk about how to integrate PC backgrounds into a campaign narrative. Joining us for this discussion is a team of DMs that come highly recommended for doing this very sort of thing in, in all kinds of different ways. First up is our newcomer to the show and possibly the most accomplished musician, actor, and everything else that we've probably ever had on the show, Eugenio Vargas. Welcome.
1: Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. So you uh, you run Actual Play Streams uh, podcast, um, perhaps most known for The Last Refuge. You've published on DMs Guild. And you are an actor, singer, dancer, pianist, conductor, and everything else. Yes. <laughs> Did I, I yeah, say that? Some are right? things
1: dropping off as I get older, but yes, that's the <laughs> idea. <laughs>
0: right Excellent. So we're glad to have you here. Thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm thrilled and, to be and, here.
0: And make sure I got the name right again. Uh, oh, I just
1: lost it. Eugenio? Oh, you were so close. Yes, Eugenio. Oh, e- DM Jazzy Hands is also totally fine. DM Jazzy
0: Hands. Yeah, but I can't say DM Jazzy Hands <laughs> without doing Jazz Hands, and nobody can see me.
1: So I don't see the problem. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> also joining us are two regulars to the show, Jeremiah McCoy, the monstrous ecologist who has recently turned over part three of his series on the Lich, the monster that just won't die in so many ways.
2: <laughs> Welcome back, sir. <laughs> Greetings and salutations.
0: How many How many parts are there going to be before you finally find the phylactery of the Lich?
2: I... I... Part number three is the end of my coverage of the Lich. I will probably Uh, do unicorns for the next one. Something nice and simple and friendly. I thought
0: maybe you'd take a break from Liches and talk about Demi-Liches.
2: I actually talked about <laughs> Litches in the first episode. You, you did, They're you did. Very it. fascinating, know. and I I could go on. You could. I'm
0: sure you could. Uh, also joining us in joining us in this episode uh, is Brandis Stoddard, who I consider to be my personal D and D historian. Uh, he writes for <laughs> Tribality. He's a regular appearing here, and he's the co-host w- with uh, Sam, our senior editor uh, on the Edition Wars show here at the on the Tome Show. Welcome back, Brandis.
3: Thank you very much, Jeff.
0: Did I correctly identify Uh, all of your your important credits?
3: uh, Certainly vis-a-vis the Tome Show.
0: Okay. (laughs) Very good. All right. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about how to integrate PC backgrounds into our campaigns. Uh, but first, a word from our sponsor, SkullsplitterDice.com. They make fantastic dice for D&D and other games. Uh, they shared some of their wares with uh, some of our regulars, and I believe Jeremiah, you uh, received some of that Skullsplitter dice. What did you get?
2: I got the. Uh, I got a few things actually. I got a uh, a, a tin, a case a dice case for them, uh, that is actually quite nice. It looks like a, uh, like a book, but it's actually a, 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 a dice box. Uh, and was that the, the one labeled box. warlock tome? Uh, like that? yes, I believe yeah. it was. Yes. And I uh, also ordered, uh, some, a couple of their, uh, different sets that were just lovely. I posted some pictures up on, uh, Twitter, uh, for people to, to go check out I can I can find those again and uh, put them uh, a link in the show notes I think but or they can go uh, yeah, they...
0: Twi- or they can go to twitter.com slash technoir and and scroll through your feed and find them there as well I imagine
2: oh yes they are uh, the the dice that they sent were, were actually quite nice uh, and uh, if you get the light on them just right they they threw kind of a rainbow effect it's very nice oh very cool excellent. So people should definitely go check that out at
0: SkullSplitterDice.com In fact, go to SkullSplitterDice.com slash Tome Show and there's a special page just for Tome Show fans including a coupon code which is also Tome Show all lowercase uh, which will get you 15% off if you want to go and buy some stuff from them. So,
4: Look, mate. Three generations ago my ancestors forged the Great Blade Skull Splitter. With it They won the Goblin Wars, the Hobgoblin Wars, the Orc Wars, the Demon Wars, the Elf Wars, and the Gelatinous Cube Wars. That one doesn't even make sense, because they don't have skulls. Now, all these years later, the legend of the Great Skull Splitter grows. Offering dice to help you create your own legends, Skull Splitter Dice makes the highest quality dice beautiful dice of both plastic and metal. Want to roll bones that look like bones? Or just something with enough heft to split the skulls of your enemies, Skull Splitter Dice has that and more. Check them out now at skullsplitterdice.com slash tomeshow, and use the coupon code TOMESHOW with all little letters, and get 15% off. Now get out there, split some skulls, and build some legends. Alright, so we are
0: here to talk about um, the concepts that players come up with for their characters. And, and it, I don't know about your experience, but some players put together a super short, like, vague concept that is nothing more than the traits that they chose from the player's handbook, or maybe a sentence or two beyond that, and, and a vague idea of what kind of character they want to play. And some players will write you a, a 10 or 15 page backstory. Um, and yet, we as DMs have to figure out sort of how to to make that meaningful. And and it, there's benefit, I think, to figuring out how to make those backgrounds influence the story so that the story's coming as much from the players as it is from the DM. Is that fair? Uh,
3: yeah. Yeah, I think that backgrounds character histories as opposed to like 5e's formal background right piece of the character um those are a, those can be a big part of how the player shows what they're going to care about what they plan to engage with and just who their person is
0: and i fi- and i find that as a dm when i incorporate those kinds of things it makes the story more personal to the character, right? It, it, they feel special, uh, in that situation because suddenly the, the focus is on them, the stories on them, something they came up with is, is important in the, in the, in the narrative.
3: It, for sure. And I think that, um, I think that we still have a lot to learn about, you know, best practices in, uh, getting background creation to be a conversation. Um, so that even at that stage of of creating the game, it's you know a, a um, input of content from uh, certainly at least the player in the GM, but ideally more people than that, right Yeah, uh, like connecting character histories with another player is um, sort of lightning in a bottle when you can get it to here to go. Right, and
0: and we can talk a little bit about how this sort of plays out in in our each of our sort of experiences, um, uh, but I but I in my mind, fifth edition D D sort of does the does some of the leg, legwork for us in a way that was never really done before formally in D through those traits, right? The, those ideals, bonds, flaws, um, those kinds of things, right? Um, because it's never really been formalized that players should consider these kinds of things.
3: Um, okay, so since I'm the historian, I'll, I'll say <laughs> it, sure. Um, so, so working very quickly uh, back through the editions, um, in, uh, in second edition you see one of the first real instructions of a what I do in my off time or what I did before I uh, started taking stabbing lessons. Uh, kind of mechanic. There's two of them, right? There's um, secondary skills as one option, and you you pick one, and it's a a craft or job. And then, as an alternative to that system, that system is very lightly defined Mm -hmm. where where it's defined at all. As an alternative to that system, you have the non-weapon proficiency system, which um, Sam and I talked about not too long ago in Addition War, and um, it's a collection of skills that are also kind of micro feats that um, let you describe what you do. Um, See, and I thought you were going to talk about
0: kits, uh, because sometimes those can inform background choices, although they're also as much about current choices um, a yeah, lot
3: of times. I, I would argue that they're as likely to be talking about how you stab, as opposed to sure. what you do when you're not stabbing. <laughs> That's fair. right? Um, you do see some that are uh, about where you came from, right. uh, more than where you're going. Uh, complete Fighter's Handbook, Complete Wizards, Complete Priests, and Complete Thieves are you know lean much more in that direction. Mm-hmm. All of the other class books lean much more toward you know influencing your your actual class mechanics and talking about you know what you do now that you're an adventurer. Mm-hmm. um and just to uh say it briefly boys there's some problematic stuff in there oh. um man amazon and savage are not not looking they're not great looks sure they're, they're not great looks in the year of lord 2019 all right no um but um kind of skipping on past that uh well, we don't have a, to go through the whole uh, thing. That's that, that's not where, really where, the where thrust where, of what where, we're where discussing. We look backward, uh, right? Uh, so, third edition didn't really have a, a clear thing for this. Right, uh, y- you could make it part of your skill picks. You can make it part of your feat picks. Uh, maybe you you picked a um, uh, like origin feat uh, from the Forgotten Realms right. uh, book to to inform that, but not so much. Uh, and then fourth edition uh, it was pretty the, similar quite late in the edition they introduced themes which right. could be a background thing but mostly they're about where you're going and what you're going into. But um, in 5th edition we, we get it baked the right edition.
0: into right into the player's handbook, right? Yep. So from sure from is. the get-go it's 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 an idea that they're trying to to push and and so more and more I think we have players creating characters who who have at least an inkling of a little bit of a background. And so it might be useful for DMs to think about. How do you, how do you make that turn into something in your game? Uh, Ohenio, you're new to the show. Why don't you start off by sure. telling us how do you sort of handle all of this? And we'll throw in questions as you go through your process.
1: Yeah, sure. So obviously it's two sort of very different uh, propositions to include character backstory, depending on whether you are running a published adventure or a completely sort of your own story homebrew campaign, right, because in the published adventure, you have all of this stuff that's sort of laid out for you, and you can either choose to find ways to make some of those PCs or make the events or the play or NPCs rather, or the the places or the events in some way connected to uh, your PC's backstories, uh, which is sort of one whole process. And then there's the other where you're writing your own adventure, you're writing your own story, you're creating your own thing, uh, which for me seems a little bit easier to sort of be able to build in uh, those PC backstories stuff. Um, but uh, in either case, uh, there are sort of four things that I like to know about my players, characters, backstories. Uh, and sometimes the backgrounds sort of uh, spell this out directly. And and sometimes the backgrounds are, uh, the like rules mechanics backgrounds are jumping off points to get creative with this stuff. And sometimes like you mentioned, Jeff, like sometimes you have a player that like maybe writes a sentence or two. And so none of these things are there and you will mm-hmm. find them as you go. But the four things that I, uh, use, make use of when I'm trying to tie in PC backstories are the people from their past, the places they've been in the past, uh, events that happen, which obviously are very closely often tied to the people in the places. And then sometimes you can just use things. Is there a family heirloom? Was there some powerful thing that this PC ran up against? Whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. You can make a story out of just about any of those four things pretty pretty easily. And by the same token, you can tie in existing stories to at least one of those things. Some NPC is your player's long lost brother, or the MacGuffin that you're looking for in this published adventure used to be held by the town's lord that XPC is from or whatever, right? But you start by just, they don't have to be big, long paragraphs, long backgrounds about these things, but just know, oh, this player has a sister. This player used to have a family heirloom sword that got lost, and this player was around when there was a big uh, military coup and the local Lord was overthrown, right? And then those things, as you go on with your story, you can sort of build in. Uh, Gosh, what do we do next?
0: yeah no and i think a lot of what you talked about is is um very similar to some of the things i i was going to mention as well uh you know and, and there's a lot of cases where you talked about how with a homebrew setting it's even easier than uh in a published adventure and with a bit of creativity i don't even know that it's that much harder in a published adventure um i find a lot of times you know oh there's the family heirloom sword well which NPC in the published adventure is now carrying that heirloom sword that they're trying to recover? Right, and that's all it oh, takes. Please. Now suddenly, you—it's it, now suddenly it's important, right? There's a there's a story there. You know, which NPC uh, can you swap out for this character the, from the for this uh, um, you know this person in their background that, that suddenly becomes important? I'm I'm currently uh, running Dragon Heist for my group. Um, and I'm using some of the supplemental materials on on uh, DM's Guild that some of the, the designers that worked on Dragon Heist published the what is it the Lost Tales uh, mm. of um, uh, the last t- Lost Tales of Waterdeep or something like that uh, where it gives some sort of alternatives and there's a, this whole sort of um, storyline that follows this steward of the Lanterns. Uh, who are my villains, right? And, and the steward is a doppelganger. And I'm like, uh, no, the steward is not a doppelganger. It is the rival that my tiefling PC mentioned is also running around in Waterdeep and constantly like driving her crazy because they're always trying to outdo each other. That's now the steward, right? And so, so I, just took, I just swapped an NPC for uh, an NPC that makes sense and, and
1: hooks that character's background, right? Um, and that's similar to some sort of the things
0: you were talking about.
1: Yeah, and I think you made a really good point where you said, like, what NPC is carrying the heirloom sword? These don't have to be enormous meta arc altering additions, right? Or, or things that we include, right? They can be simple things that make that character that maybe is feeling a little, uh, I don't know, a little lost in the story at this point or a little disinterested in the story at this point because we all, DMs included, quite frankly, in my experience, like have those moments where sometimes we're not as locked in as we would like and just something as simple as, you know, this enemy carrying something that that that, that player or that PC recognizes can be enough to sort of, you know, activate that player and get them excited again. Look, if you want to spend time and create whole complex webs of, 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 you know, secrets and intrigue and all of that that involve your PC's backstories, more power to you, like, that's also super fun. But that, you know, if that feels intimidating for you, by all means, just like rename an NPC and make it their, like you said, their rival. Uh, give this NPC a particular item. Uh, you know, make this the event in this NPC's past something that happened where one of your PCs is from. They can just be little simple things.
0: Well, and if the if the villain's lieutenant is carrying your family's heirloom sword, I don't need a large meta arc around your background because the story's meta arc just became connected to your background right absolutely
2: i i think that um a a lot of my approach to dealing with this ends up depending on who i'm playing with Mm. like Mm. my current my current game is made up of people who i've been larping with for 20 years off and on so we all have sort of a shorthand that we understand what okay i know where you're going with this i've seen you play this kind of character before and i can i can in sort of insert and weave things whereas if i'm playing with somebody i don't know or don't know as well i start with questions and i um you know and part of those questions is, will be couched in such a way so as they are describing a part of the world and how it Ties into their backstory, so even if they haven't like written out written out a large thing about their backstory, I can say, "All right, um, you're coming up on this tavern. You've been to this tavern before. What what what's it called? What did your family do here?" And they're inventing a, a connection to the setting that I can just sort of jot down a few notes, and I'm I, I have something to work with. Uh-huh. I
1: think that's I think that's great. And and you you sort of you mentioned this other thing that I think is really important, which is that we as the DMs don't have to know everything at the get at the get-go, right? And neither do the players. We right. can find out they the players can find out more about their characters as we as they go. Ask these questions as you go. How do you know this person? How do you know about this tavern? I love that. What did your family do here? And then, you know. Five, ten, twenty 20 sessions down the road maybe that comes into play maybe it doesn't but but okay. it's not something that has to be done during session zero right in its entirety
0: well and then the players get to participate in some world building uh and that's that's a lot of fun as well because because it, it it be their improvisation and their role play plays out to the whole setting not just with their characters
2: Another one that I like to do because it uh, it forces sort of an integration of the players is to go alright, you guys just got done with your, your last mission. How did it go? What happened? And, and then they let are, them
0: sort of build that story?
2: They're building the backstory and the integration of their characters at the same time. I like that.
0: How How many campaigns have you started that way?
2: Uh, I've done that a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, one time it didn't work out as well as I would have liked, and the other time it happened really well. So, do you know what the
0: difference was? What made it work and
2: what made it not work, <laughs> so people can uh, learn from your mistakes? So, what made it not work is the guys I asked the question of didn't expect the question. Okay. Mm. Like they aren't used to the idea of they had to do that. Right. And it put it was off-putting for them. So the game kind of—it
3: wasn't—it of wasn't the
0: style of game they were expecting.
3: Right. I definitely have players that would be more okay with. Uh, I need to come up with, invent the canon on the fly, uh, and then players who would be less okay with that. Mm. And uh, then there are like ways of pacing the question out and and such that could flip some of the no thanks to maybe it's okay. Right. It really depends.
0: Yeah, no, and, and you're right. I think it depends a lot on, on the players. I know um, in my current group, I, I have players who were really interested in, in playing in the Forgotten Realms. They know the realms, they're, they're interested in seeing the things that they recognize. That was where they wanted to be. So, th- them participating in major world building wasn't really on the table. But in my yeah. previous group, when I ran a homebrew uh, game, I sort of sketched out the map and put it out in front of them with no labels on anything. I said, okay, where does the campaign start? Oh, we're starting there? Okay. We're on this chain of islands. What are these islands? Uh, You know, there's... Okay, this is a a kingdom made up of an alliance of of five different nations. Hey, there's five players. Each of you create a... You know, and so they did the whole... like. And I'm like, who are the major villains of the campaign? And and what possible allies are there? And, like, they did the whole world building. That was a whole session zero of them building the world with me, not just them um, making their characters, you know? so uh, And so they... Made characters then that were intensely integrated into a lot of those concepts because they came up with the concepts and the characters.
2: Um, I think that uh, one of the things that uh, may be a little different in mine and uh, and No Brandis's experience is we we we've come at it from doing a LARP.
3: Hmm. Right, I, I did want to talk about the sort of tech that we had to introduce for this. Uh, to incorporate PC backgrounds in Dust to Dust, because while it's and Dust maybe, to Dust is the LARP, Dust to Dust is the LARP. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I didn't mean to cut you off, McCoy. If you want no, to no. do the rundown, no, no. Okay. I, I, okay. I, so you you go ahead. Okay, so um, we we had a race of uh, of characters, a, a PC race uh, that were the returned. They're they're basically revenants. Um, Except that instead of coming back with a single grudge, they were just um, heroes of the ancient past who had been returned to life and uh, were, were sort of undeadish to start with, and then got more and more alive as they lived up to their own heroic ideals, right? Um, well, to incorporate, like, so so we have these characters who are saying have these incredible backstories. Um, what we so so we had them give us a history, and then we went absolutely wild expanding it, um, because we had to sort of inflate their legend beyond what it really would have been okay for them to ask for, and they just didn't have enough context to to say here's what I want to be, because there was no way for us to give them enough information. So it, it was very much. Uh, here's the seed of who I was, here's what I was about, and you're going to see more about who I was based on who I am. And then we ran with that. So that's that's one half of what we did. The other half of what we did is that uh, we wanted to figure out a way to let some characters who decided to be famous with the other characters, this, this player base of around 100 people, at the start of play without having to issue individual briefings about characters to everyone on site because that's obviously insane um, so what we did was we created historical events they're posted on the website and there are roles just marked in as you know uh character one goes here a, a character of this very general type We'll slot in a name when someone decides to take that role, mm. um, and so we we had something like twenty or thirty events posted, which was a, a whole mess of writing. But the whole project was a whole mess of writing, so that's not new. Um, and so there were ways you could be heroes of this one big battle with the ghouls, or you could have been involved in a big political conference, or you could have been present for a holy miracle and so on. Um, and then um, we had PCs buy into anywhere from one to three of those. They weren't ever required to. You could be not famous if that's what you were into. Uh, and so we also had uh, uh, yeah, Celestial PCs, uh, angels who descended and became mortals. And so they had their own set of historical events. Mm. But the the big thing was just that... Uh, we laid out content and said, you know, you can choose to be that person. Uh, you can choose to be, you can choose to tell us that you are both, uh, the person in this one event and the person in this other event. And we'll resolve that if it's weird. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that seemed to work really well. It gave PCs a lot of different connections with each other. That they wouldn't have otherwise had because, uh, they wouldn't just have their friends that they're out of play friends or the people they intended to be on a team with by the other roles in the same event. They would instead suddenly have a connection with this person that they didn't know in real life because that someone who was a stranger to them picked up a role that their character should obviously know. Mm -hmm. So that was a whole thing. Uh, That would be a, so, so on the surface, that's really demanding to introduce into a tabletop game, but uh, if you start looking at how dark secrets work in um, Baldur's Gate, Descent into Avernus...
1: I was uh, just going to say that.
3: Yeah, they're, they're, they're nibbling at that same idea, just from a different direction, and mm-hmm. that makes me so happy. So happy.
0: And while we will have a whole episode about Descent into Avernus, Oaneo... Oh, can you tell yeah. us a little bit about what what that what you're talking about there when you mentioned that that's similar to what they do there
1: yeah so uh in descent into avernus uh, every party is uh, meant to I mean you can do whatever you want it's DD whatever but there's a mechanic in by which uh, every every party can start out with some dark secret about uh, if I'm not mistaken about their uh their past as an adventuring party and this sort of dark secret ends up being, I haven't gotten through the whole thing yet, but uh, I remember there was. they also talked a little bit about this, Chris Perkins talked a little bit about this on a on a uh, Laurie Should Know, I think, or something on Dragon Talk, uh, but it allows a sort of way for uh, the party to have a shared history, to have a little bit about uh, to have a little bit of, of a buy-in to either Baldur's Gate or uh, some of the other locales in uh, in in the book, and ways to sort of have things they've done in the past come bite them in the ass, and and be tied in later on in the in the adventure.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've actually done very similar things for the last several of my campaigns, where um, I and I frame it as sort of a a session zero sort of opening survey, if you will, about your characters. Right, I'll ask some pointed questions. Um and they are not all, a lot of them are just intended to pull out information about characters without asking them to write, you know, the fifteen page store you know, character history that, that I remember I used to do back in the day. Um, you know, but, but here's I think my, my last campaign in North Carolina, it was a, a one page sheet, and about half of that was here's a list of NPCs and a one sentence description of them. Pick one that you've got some sort of connection to, or an interest in, or you know, some stuff like that. And so it's a little bit of of pulling out a little bit of of who are they, and giving me little nuggets that I can grab onto and and hook my my chains into. Um, and then it's a little bit of of me saying, and here's some some you know concepts for the the narrative that's already planned. How are you already connected to it? And then the other piece that I do is, oh, and and also here's the other players at the table or the other characters of the table that are slowly being developed and, and being created to, at the same time. Which one of those are you connected to and how? How do you know them? What's going on? Uh, and so that way they've got some cohesion as a group, but they've also got some connection to the campaign. And then I've got some things that I can pull from to integrate into my campaign. And that sounds very similar to what uh, is both in Descent to Avernus and to what Brandis was talking about for the LARP, uh, and it tends to work really well. Like with my current group, they're they were, they're new for me, uh, and I didn't want to overwhelm them with with a whole bunch of you know here's a giant survey. Go ahead and start a- answering questions about your character. Uh, so I started them off fairly small. Like here's three questions. Okay, great. Now how are you connected to these other people? Okay, cool. Here's a bunch of rumors about things going on in Waterdeep and. Most of them have some some connection to the story, and one or two of them I just completely made up, and they're just wrong. You know, they're red herrings. Which one of those random rumors are you? Is your character kind of interested in as a newcomer to Waterdeep that they just heard about, right? Uh, And so, um, you know, so that way I was able to to do accomplish multiple things uh, through that little by guiding the background creation. you know, not telling them the players what their background would be, but just sort of being like, hey, here's some pointed questions that will help you develop your character, but also I know will be more likely to give me the kinds of things that I can hook into and use to uh, make the story more meaningful for you.
1: Yeah, one thing about the, about like you were talking about, about the, the dark secrets in in Descent to Avernus in particular, and, and something that I actually think uh, in the future I will try and sort of do my own version of, Uh, well, two things. One, the dark secrets thing sort of, uh, you know, your players are going into an adventure called Descent into Avernus. Like they feel like that sort of gives them a heads up to what this is going to be. But when you have, when you have in particular players who sort of want to create this perfect incorruptible, uh, you know, always lawful, good, whatever character, this dark secret thing, it doesn't have to mean that they were the, let's say the murderer, right? In this in this dark secret event that they had, but it connects them to something that is mm-hmm. a little outside of their comfort zone, which is always like a great place to find interesting role-playing and, and moments for your game. So that's one thing that I love. The other thing that I love about the dark secrets is that it, <laughs> I love me some tables uh, and there are a bunch <laughs> of different tables and all of these options, right? So it sort of breaks down into what are the big uh, concept events, right? There's uh, murder, mm, coup, two others. Uh, I could pull it up. Uh, uh, theft
3: and uh, conspiracy,
1: yep. yeah, conspiracy. Yeah, conspiracy. Yeah, yeah. So like, there's the big thing, and then in in within that, right? There are all kinds of things that that I will probably try and like take for my future uh, sort of background creation moments that have like okay well here are a couple of the details of the event here are and this one's the one that I think is most important for players to let them feel like they still have some some agency and some control over the situation what was your role in this event right were you a bystander or were you the murderer or were you the lookout or whatever right and then one that I thought was sort of interesting is the last table in each section is uh the consequences of the event so what actually ended up Mm -hmm. happening how did it play out uh, which of course, you know you can also have your players do what, what I think Jeremiah said, which is uh, you know, you tell me how did this go? Right. Help me write a little bit of the, the history, the backstory of this.
2: I, I think one of the things that uh, you can also do, um, I often pull lessons from other games, um, you know that rate as many games as you can. You will find that they have some lessons for each of them. Uh, fate, in particular, uh, some of the iterations of fate, uh, and I'm thinking of Spirit of the Century right now. Does an excellent job of integrating characters and giving them a backstory. Because there's a stage where you write down the adventure that you were hand having on an index card, and you hand it to the guy next to you, and they write whatever their you know whatever their role in that adventure was.
3: Yeah, that was or you, a really cool uh, bit of tech.
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's a simple thing, but it's a quick way to get a backstory. Um, and now, admittedly, this is also integrated into making the characters and fate. But right. just that core idea of I'm going to write down a thing of some previous adventure and then hand it over to someone else, and right. they're going to fill in their, uh, what they did. That that's a great way to to give them both a background and an integration with each other.
0: And and while that doesn't have the the pointedness of my you know my questions, um, the odds that you're not going to get something meaty to latch onto in in uh, a background generation like that is is probably pretty slim. Like that's probably going to be a thing that happens. Is um, you know juicy things come out of that those kinds of character building and, and world building that a DM can be like oh. That's a that can be what explains what's going on over here, or that's a thing that now is going on in this other town that we didn't even, that I hadn't even thought about. How does that play into the campaign?
3: Absolutely. So, uh, in a game that I adore called Technoir, not not the same as uh, our <laughs> our well loved contributor. Uh, Hello. Yeah. So, so Technoir is a um, cyberpunk. Uh, Nor investigation game and as part of creating your character you describe how you are connected to a short list of NPCs Uh, those NPCs are part of the adventures playbook and uh, you can't unravel the mystery at all until you actually go visit these contacts that you know those don't have to be pleasant contacts but uh the way you make the story move forward is to pick one of them and go shake the tree and uh, i just really really love that it's, mm. it's hard for me to get my head around because even the gm doesn't know the mystery until it gets written mm. um because it's a it's a procedural generation of a mystery uh, but you are absolutely Going to have your background come up and play. It literally can't not
0: right. Well, and 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 that's. Th- I think we've talked around the idea of of encouraging players to create backgrounds that are going to have all those meaty bits for us to latch onto and, and and to use in games and what have you. But I think there's still some conversation to have about how to actually do that. Like like we talked a little bit about uh, O'Henry and I were talking a little bit about at the beginning at the beginning about like um, swapping out existing elements of the of the narrative with elements from uh, players backgrounds but i think there's other ways of integrating their backgrounds into the into the narrative as well Uh, you know i mentioned before oh you described this thing that your family went through in this town nearby that wasn't in the story but it totally is part of the setting now let me think through over the next few sessions why that matters how it matters and how it's going to come back to become a thing in the in the narrative Um, what other ways do you have of actually taking those, those juicy background pieces, um, whether they were intentionally meant for the campaign or not, and then actually using them and implementing them?
2: I, um, I'm sorry. No, 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 please go ahead, Jeremiah. I was, I would say that one of the things that you need to do as the DM at the beginning when you're dealing with how to integrate those histories Mm -hmm. is thinking about scale, um, for instance, when we were you know, using the LARP as an example, in the LARP, all of the PCs are the heroes of the game world. Like, there isn't a drist somewhere off in the... Uh, like, there are powerful NPCs, sure, but the campaign is all about them saving the world. Mm. Um, and if your game is your PCs are the heroes that are saving the world then you want to integrate their backgrounds into bigger things if your game is they are the local heroes they are the they're the defenders as opposed as opposed to the avengers then you want to set your scope more local you want to integrate them with the 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 local crime boss the local noble as opposed to if they're world shaking You know, one might actually be the lost king of, you know, some some lost princess or prince or what have you from another realm. And uh, over the course of the campaign, they get to find out that they are, in fact, lost royalty or the chosen one or what have you. But determining scale is important. Mm -hmm. Oh, you were going to say something? yeah, so I was just I was gonna tell a
1: little story about a, a stream that I did uh, this past summer. Uh, where I actually came in the this group had been streaming together for a long time uh, and their DM needed to sort of uh, step back a little bit. So I picked them up just for a few months in the summer. So they had I had a ton of not just character backstory, but, uh, you know, things that these characters had actually done in game that I got to work with. And the amount of things that I could throw in from their background was a little overwhelming. So the way that I actually ended up doing that one was I came up with sort of the, the basic adventure idea the story story idea that I wanted to run them through uh, over the course of the summer. And then I went back and sort of found things uh, that that fit in with where I was already going or things that I would only have to take little left turns to. Now, that's definitely an approach that is a lot easier if you have this wealth of information like I did. But what ended up happening was sort of the, the meta arc of my summer with them was that a, a particular goddess uh, wanted to sort of regain some of her lost power and had uh, had gotten some mortals to do her dirty work and to set up these sort of divinity sinks in particularly uh, divine places around the world. Mm. And it just so happened that one of uh, the PCs was a cleric whose god had a very well-known temple uh, in the mountains. So that was one of the places where the divinity sink was. They were from uh, Elturel, which is uh, in the Forgotten Realms, which uh, is actually part of Descent to also. Yeah, it is also. But- more importantly, uh, more importantly, is uh, is the center of this sort of mysterious divine presence. Oh. Um, this sort of mysterious <laughs> divine presence. And so that was another place uh, where there were divinity sinks. And I don't remember what the third one was. I don't think it was necessarily directly related to them, but it was just placing things in places that I knew that PC had been after I had already figured out what the, what the basic story was going to be uh, that, that worked well to pull him into the story very, very directly.
0: Very good. Brandis, you had something you wanted to say as well.
3: Well, so uh... McCoy mentioned the idea of, um, okay, your background is that you are the lost prince of the kingdom. Um, and that has me thinking about, um, DM surprising the players with your background. Isn't what you thought it was. Hmm. Uh, and obviously you, you need to know the player before you do something like that. But, um, you know, I was I was wondering what we thought about that as a as a thing. Um it, like beyond well you need some consent here like sure sure definitely. Right.
0: Yeah, and and I think that also kind of goes back to what Jeremiah had mentioned earlier about um about his attempt at a background situation where that worked really well once and not well another time. Uh and in it's it's a matter of of managing expectations. Like if mm-hmm. the expectations are such that that the player is okay with that, and I, and I know you—you you, we talked, you mentioned consent, right? Um, that, but, but that's a big deal, right? Like, um, my current game is a mashup I- of Dragon Heist, and it, it's going to convert into Curse of Strahd, and I've got this whole this whole thing going on. People should listen to Behind the DM Screen and and, and catch my craziness, <laughs> and, and and listen to Mike roll his eyes at me, um, <laughs> but. Um, you can hear it every time oh every time yeah and, and, and then he mocks me on twitter but that's okay uh, <laughs> but but it, it's i'm really excited about it and it, it's working really well in my head and i've got a player who is um is a warlock uh, a celestial warlock uh and I, and i'm thinking well when you go to ravenloft as a warlock or as a cleric or whatever I mean, really, what are the odds that one of the dark powers isn't going to just intervene and, and weasel their way into being your patron, right? Isn't that kind of their shtick, is to use those opportunities to to try to manipulate and corrupt you and do all that kind of stuff? But at the same time, he's playing this celestial warlo- uh, warlock, and he he doesn't really understand who his patron is. He just hears these voices in his head, and he he, he, th- he thinks he's half crazy and whatever. And I'm like, well, that's even better, because he doesn't know the, the patron. I could really mess with that hardcore, and then but I, but at the same time I'm like yeah, but if that's not the game he wants to play, if that's not the character he wanted to bring to the table, that where those kinds of things get messed with, that could completely ruin his game, uh, and he could easily just write off the entire character and just be done if if he wasn't okay with that, right? So I think you know hand waving away this issue of consent, uh, I think it's important to really dig into that because if you're going to mess with stuff like that, then it there has to be this level of consent because the, the player may... You may be changing things about their character that was really important to them. Even if it didn't seem really important to you, if it was really important to them, it can make the game no longer what they wanted to do and make their character no longer who they wanted it to be.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's a little strange for me because I come from a gaming community where... That kind of surprise and hard left turn is normal. And it's a, a agreeing to that is a, a largely unspoken but pretty universal part of. My, my broader gaming community, but you also um, know
0: because it's a it's a universal ex, uh, thing in your gaming community. You already know that you have their consent to do this stuff like uh, that. You know,
3: d- d- right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we we had, I think, about one misfire in terms of things we revealed about people's character histories in Dust to Dust, um, that that turned the character in a way that they didn't like, and they. Didn't like it badly enough that they didn't stick around to find out that hmm. that wasn't where we were going. That right. was a, a pit stop along the way, um, but it's fine, you know. Um, one miss in uh, hundred and something players is uh, that's a hit rate I'm willing to accept.
0: Yeah, but I don't have a hundred and something players at my table. I, I want all I five know, of them I'm to have sure. a blast every game. You know,
2: there sure. there, there is a certain um like I said a shorthand um if uh with with some of my older gamers and it, it's less present with people you don't know obviously you need to talk more about consent in that regard uh, and what they're consenting to but things that are clues are things like uh I'm an orphan and I don't know who my parents are sure okay. yeah are you t- I mean for most people that is a I'm explicitly telling you right who my parents are, right, but you i mean yes you you probably should have the conversation of, listen, all these things that you've left as mysteries and unknowns are you okay with me filling them in right um but i mean on on the player side because we're we're talking about it on a dm side players that are listening to this when you write a character history, if you put this is an unknown factor in my character history. This is usually perceived by the DM as, you want me to fill this in.
0: And if that's not what you want,
2: you should tell them. Yeah, you should absolutely tell them.
0: If, if it's, but, I, was, I'm, I was raised as an orphan, and, you, and it's important to you that you're always an orphan, and that's a, an essential part of your character's identity, and you don't want that to change, then make it sure the DM knows, don't introduce my parents. I'm always an orphan.
2: I, I have a patron who gave me powers, but I don't know who he is. Right. Okay. The, are you're, you're kind of asking the DM to fill that in uh, at that point. Uh, I have these mysterious objects, and I don't know the ex- explanation for them. You're asking the DM to, t- to fill that in for to you. To tell you what they are, yeah. To al- tell you al- what they are. Although, I have played and
0: been in games where people have played the I don't know who my patron is but I have an idea in my head of how that story is like I the player know who my patron is but my pc doesn't and those are different things
2: sure and and usually though in that conversation is okay I don't know the character doesn't know but I know it's this guy oh okay cool and you move on but yeah um but yeah it, it, it very much is there are certain shorthands for I want you to fill this in for me. If you don't see those on a character sheet, yeah, you pr- absolutely should be like uh talking, you know, do you yeah. mind if I throw a surprise do, do I mess mind if this? I how much can I mess with this? You should. You should absolutely do that. Uh but yeah it it it, it it would be unusual for me to write a character history where I didn't have at least one or two things in there where it was just yeah feel feel free to fill this in because I haven't, and yeah. I'd be interested to see what you put
0: yeah, as a player, I oftentimes do that i will I will explicitly consider in my head, hey, there are some vagities there, vagaries there, and I'm leaving them that way very intentionally to give the d m something to to latch onto.
3: Uh- so thinking about one of your specific characters, McCoy, um, <laughs> your character in my current campaign. So you didn't write in a lot of mysteries into the backstory. What you did write in were two NPCs that you super cared about and a, a very checkered past. Yeah. Um, and, and so it isn't that you've said, hey, surprise me with something. It's that you've said, I've painted a target on my back. Yes. Yes and like you and i didn't need to have a conversation about it though in some other group i i might yeah. uh, to understand that making your character go through some stuff for that checkered past is on the table and is mm. it is happening right this minute
2: right yeah I, I'm sorry, I missed the last session.
0: <laughs> it, it's all good, man. It's well, and good. and and that brings up, I think, the point the or the question that you were trying to get to originally, Brandis, which is okay. So let's say you've got the consent. So so what do we think about it? How do you do that kind of twist? Hey, you've got this NPC that you really care about, um, and and. Maybe maybe there's a strong you know it's your it's your best friend it's your sister it's whatever and you've always been able to depend on them and whatever what happens when you find out actually they've been betraying you for the last ten years and you didn't know it is the DM okay, is you know you got consent to do that kind of story that is that the kind of turn that you're talking about Brandis that that you've chained to the, right, the background definitely. yeah so how do we feel about that how do we feel about about making those twists in Players' backgrounds and making the story something that they weren't expecting, even when they were explicit, um, and you've, but you've got some consent and then you, you flip it on their head. Um, does that is that effective? Is that distracting? What do you, what do we think?
3: I mean, I, I think that sort of to, to be a little bit pat about it, uh, all narrative that people like is uh, just unexpected enough. And, and what that means is going to vary, of course, and that's mm-hmm. why some people like things and some people don't. Um, you, you just get into, like, uh, how did I perceive the foundation that was laid? What is an unexpected twist on that that still fits in with, uh, fits in the broader scope of what I can expect for that foundation? And then what's the next twist after that?
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Something that's too expected well, that's boring. You you know what's coming. You you know the ending before you've gotten halfway through. No thanks. You need some some surprise, uh, but not just totally out of left field surprise. I as can, a general statement,
2: I I think I can think of an example we had from from the the LARP. There was a character who wrote a history that left the a vast sort of. Uh, un, unwritten portion you know I was an orphan and blah 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 and it was kind of clear that she had in her head that she was probably like a werewolf
3: mm, yeah that was a problem because uh, humans yeah. couldn't be werewolves in that well, campaign
2: yeah well uh, werewolves uh, could not be human in in, in that game but what we, what we did instead was there was a historical figure who was basically Conan? Um, that was called the Wolf King, and we said she is a descendant of him.
4: Yep.
0: So you gave her what kind of what she wanted, but you you twisted it on its on its face.
2: Yes.
3: Yeah, we we definitely took the thing that she wanted that wasn't possible within the the canon that we had established, and it, especially in a large player based larger you do not change the canon just to uh make one player or a small number of players happy right. you can't do that um so we really worked hard to give her something that would be as exciting sure and in fact it wasn't that she was a descendant she was the reincarnation yeah. Well, and in a smaller so campaign, the
0: in a smaller campaign with only you know five or six players, you can change the canon like that. But it's possible you don't want to, and you sure. still want to give it a twist. So yeah. I think that's that's still good good advice, even for people who aren't running hundreds of players. Uh, oh, hit- I, I
2: have a question about the the fan reaction for because we ob- we have the rare chance to ask a streamer. Mm. <laughs> fan expectation yeah have you have you have you, have you ever
1: done something like this ohenio and and how do people I, respond to that i did i've done it twice that i can think of uh one time was actually that exact situation that we talked about earlier which was that the player said to me my character doesn't or thinks that their patron is this one person and in fact it is a it is a different entity and here's who that entity is uh, and so we spent the whole actually it was dragon heist it was my it was <laughs> actually i don't think about it was he a celestial warlock? I think he was. So that was your exact situation, oh, wow. Jeff. Uh, and so we went the whole campaign and this character became beloved and all of the rest of the players and the fans because uh, the player and I had worked really closely together to make this reveal very exciting. It, you know, people ate it up and absolutely loved it. Um, Then the other time that I did it, it was a much smaller scale, uh, but it was just that uh, a player's, uh, you know, a player should have had a throwaway line in their backstory uh, that, uh, you know, they were a half elf and their mother was the elf half and. Uh, he hadn't seen her in a very long time and they had scried her at one point and saw sort of a vague image of her and she seemed fine. Uh, and so it turned out that his mother was sort of helping the big, bad, evil person uh, and there were some reasons to why they saw what they did in the scrying and uh, it didn't go over poorly but it sort of wasn't uh, the most exciting you know, twist reveal okay. ever. So, So what I sort of learned from it Uh, was, well, several things. Uh, One, you know, if you have this player buy-in and it's not something that is a surprise to the player, it's gonna, they're gonna know how to drop hints as well as you are throughout the course of your campaign. And that's so gratifying and such a fun thing if the goal is to, even if the goal is not to surprise an audience, but just to surprise the other players. Like that can be a super fun thing when you're working together with your players for that. Um, The other thing is, you know, twists and turns are are great uh but sometimes they are they are a tool that dms really want to use and and maybe sometimes you know it is not entirely necessary i will admit like i didn't execute the one about the mom particularly well it was pretty early on in my streaming and and you know there were other issues but uh but sometimes they just you know they fall flat and that's that's okay i will also say that one thing that i take into consideration uh in longer form campaigns, and this is probably true uh, for stream campaigns too, is that we talk about, you know, always needing consent, and that is definitely true. And i I will add that the consent has to be, uh, ongoing, right? Because you have a player who creates this character and they don't know much about them at the offset. And then by the time they're eighth, 10th level, this character may have become very solidified in that player's mind, may have become really beloved of the the fans that are watching uh, in the form that they are in. And so at that point, by by that point in the story, maybe the player is less cool with you throwing in that in fact their their patron is you know, one of the dark ones or whatever it is, right? Like maybe they've gotten to a place where, no, the patron actually really does need to be, uh, you know, the the Deva underling right. of Mialiki. I don't know, whatever it is, right? Uh, it can get to a point where these characters become so established and beloved, either of the player or or of, like we said, of the fans and streaming mm-hmm. that the twist will actually end up having a negative reaction because, uh, because it changes what, what was beloved about this character mm. yeah no that's a good point um
0: yeah and, and it reminds me a little bit of of sort of my last uh bit of advice i wanted to talk about or, or things that i do um, that i wanted to talk about and and um i one of my my process of preparing for a game is that i kind of take stock of the characters and i run through them in my head uh, before each game, usually I'm in the shower right? and I'm thinking through the characters and it's it's game day today and, and people are coming over this afternoon or whatever. And I'm like, OK, now let's go through the characters. It's their so-and-so and this is kind of the storyline they've got going. I've got going on with them and so-and-so is spotlighted with this in this way or whatever. And I kind of run through the each of each one's sort of thing and, and where they interact with the story. And then I come up with, OK, but who hasn't been? As integral to the story in a while, who hasn't had their spotlight time uh, in in a session or two? And then I think through, okay, so so and so hasn't. How can I bring them to the front? You know, in in today's game, right? And how can I integrate them? And it's about fifty percent of the time, it's you know bringing out something in their background. Okay, how does this thing in their background fit into the larger story? Other times, it's you know something else that has happened at the table. Not necessarily their pre-game background, but like something else that happened, you know, a month or two ago in, in the game. Um that that will then come back and, and become a thing again. And and it was in that way that I actually pulled a twist in my uh my last North Carolina campaign. I had a, a player who, you know, when we were creating characters, he wasn't quite sure, he didn't have a lot of details, um, and it was like, yeah, my family, they're like um lower nobility trying to you know rise through through the ranks and whatever and that, I don't know that's about it they're from this big city and, and that's all all he really gave me and I'm, and so suddenly I realized well I haven't had much in terms of spotlight time for that character lately he's a wild magic sorcerer i kind of connected his wild magicness to um, to this lovecraftian plane beyond the times that was integral to to the larger meta arc um and and decided oh well that that's from a family tradition right that he went through a ritual that was sort of a family coming of age thing and that's where he developed these these wild magic powers and uh his father went through that ritual once upon a time too and oh you were about to start your your next you know mission or whatever and you got word that your dad has gone missing you better go look for him, and then they discover. Oh, Dad is actually a, a, a Lovecraftian-style cultist, and he's been making deals with these entities in order to try to raise the family's ranks through through the nobility and and find greater success. And now all of a sudden, you've got this this moral decision to make. Of yeah, but what, it's Dad, right? And I think uh, I mentioned this on on a Twitter thread that uh, Jeremiah posted actually earlier today. Um, but that was I threw in that little twist. I threw in this this moral decision, but it was all in me thinking through who hasn't had much spotlight time lately? Okay, now we've got this whole part of the campaign that didn't exist before, dealing with this Lovecraftian plane beyond time that ended up becoming like a major component of how the world works and, and what the campaign was about.
2: There is a um, a, a sort of very limited power Toolkit that you can use um, When dealing with backgrounds In your game Sometimes the backgrounds Tell you where to punch You don't want to do it too often Because It gets predictable It begins to The the, the players feel like They're not having Fun anymore if you do it too often, but there is a point where you go, "Oh, your 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 noble family—they've been uh, they've been declared traitors and they're going to be executed," or something along those lines. It, it is the lever in which you can grab and make the player player character. Care about what's going on, in a way that nothing else will. But you need to be very careful with using it. A lot of DMs have made this mistake. I've made this mistake. If if you grab that lever that they have given you, you need to be careful how often you do it.
3: Yeah, yeah. Y- y- you can really only uh, hit the fuse in that dynamite one time. <laughs>
0: Or or at least it's only going to have the impact once. You can only pull a twist on that character's background, probably the one time. Um, You know, maybe a a series if you plan it out well, or if it you know happens to work out well, or whatever. But you like yeah, like Jeremiah was saying, if you pull that lever too much, if you light that dynamite too many times, it's not going to blow anymore. It won't have the impact.
2: I I did in fact write a a character uh, history. One of my early uh, LARP characters specifically so nobody could do that to me
3: um lots uh, of people have done that over the years
2: yeah yeah and lots of people have done that Uh, and i've seen it happen in D &D characters Mm it's like they will you can tell they wrote the backstories for i don't want you to mess with any of my levers i'm not giving you any levers right um and that's fine and and that's fine and you can
0: still integrate that background though into the story because they, sure. st- they still gave you, you know, the background and the, and the stories and the NPCs and the items and the locations. And you can still make those uh, pop up and be exactly what they expect it to be. Um, we've got talked a lot about twists lately uh, in the episode. Uh, but that's not the bulk of, of how to do this stuff that we've talked about, right? That's not the only way to, to integrate player backgrounds.
2: So. Sure. A background is, in some ways, t- telling the DM what this player cares about.
3: Right. right. So that that reminds me of another point that popped into mind. That I want to bring up. It's the the player-activated side of this. One of the beautiful things about Fifth Ed's backgrounds. Here, talking about the character build pillar, are, are the uh, traits that you get mm-hmm. uh, that, that that say a, a clear yes, you can to some kind of non-combat thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's an asset that they don't share with anyone else who isn't of that background that lets them solve some kind of little problem just just straight out they can they could they could do it all day long because there's no role for it right. in almost any background um, so like a, a, a noble PC has uh, their retainers that they can call upon to, help them solve smooth over minor problems. Well, they're incorporating their background for you and using it as an asset means it's very literally in play. Uh, The the bad news about retainers is that they have hit points. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, And, you know, it's only in theory that a folk hero could mess up badly enough to lose the protection of the commons, for example. Uh, You wouldn't actually want to make that happen without maybe a direct heads-up that, hey, you know, the commons aren't too happy with the stuff you're doing kind of of situation. Um, But, uh, you know, an asset that's used is an asset that is on the table as something can happen with this now. Mm -hmm. Uh, The more they bring it up, the the more uh, I think the permission gets explicit. And they probably uh, want you to do something with something with it. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay. We have talked now for well over an hour. So I'd like to go ahead and get people's last thoughts and wrap things up because it is almost bedtime for me. So so I've gone through everything I wanted to make sure to talk about. Uh, does anybody else have any last thoughts, things you want to talk about that we haven't said yet? This is the lightning
1: round. Nothing from me other than to just sort of bring up a couple of points that we've already said again as being particularly important. One is that, you know, these can be anything from giant meta arc uh, uh, inclusions of Mm -hmm. players' backgrounds to someone possesses a sword that they know something about. So don't be intimidated, uh, particularly if you're not used to doing this in your games as a DM. Do start small, it's totally possible to do little things and still have it be super effective. Um, Also, you know, finding out about your players' backstories Mm -hmm. and how you can integrate them is an ongoing process. It doesn't all Mm -hmm. have to be done at session zero. Keep asking questions, keep learning things, keep keeping track of how you can build more in that would involve your characters directly. And uh, like we talked about, you know, particularly if you're doing twists, but really any time that you're gonna use a character's background uh, in a way Uh, for your story, consent, consent, consent. Uh, make sure that they are cool with it, make sure that it's not using in a way that they're going to object to for any number of reasons, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's not the way they want their character to be or because, you know, it brings up a theme that they are not cool sort of bringing up. You know, I had a character whose background said, and, and you know, I take a little responsibility for not fleshing this out, but my character's background said that they, uh, their mentor was, a, it was, it's one of the, I think, guild artisan background things, but it, their mentor was a terrible person who's probably rotting in jail somewhere, right? And unfortunately, the DM uh, took that uh, and made it that my father was my mentor and he was horribly abusive to me and my sister. And that was not something I was super interested right. in playing with. Uh, so, you know, consent, consent, consent. Even where we think there are uh, levers that are ripe for the pulling, uh, check in with your players. That is all I have. That was
0: all very <laughs> well said. Anybody else have anything to, to follow up you think you can beat that?
2: Aww. Well, I, I don't. I don't know if I can beat it, but I will... Uh, return to players because players may be listening to this as well. I hope so. Do not be afraid to write a character history. You don't have to be George R. R. Martin or Brandon Sanderson or what ha- whatever your favorite uh, writer is. Because I'm mm. not
0: reading that page count as your DM anyway.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you don't it doesn't have to be very long. It just you know It is something that you're giving the DM to help guide them to understand what kind of story you want to be a part of. So, you know, tell them where you're from, tell them if you've got any family, tell them what you care about. Um, and that's what, what the, the the character history is for. Mm -hmm. That's, that helps the DM give you a better game. Uh, and, and you don't have to be nervous about, well, I'm not a good writer or write bullet points. It doesn't have to be a novel. It doesn't have to be the most craft, well-crafted sentence ever written. It just needs to give them an idea of who and what your character is, what they're about, and what they care about. Great yeah
0: i mean i I mentioned that uh that i've in the past given my characters sort of short little surveys to answer about their characters to help build out their backgrounds i don't see any reason a player couldn't survey themselves you know what are five or ten questions i want to be able to answer about my character and ask yourself those questions before you come up with the answers uh, and do that and now you've written a background without having to write a novel so there you go all right any other last thoughts before i wrap it up
3: so I was going to try to uh, phrase a couple of questions that are an ultra-minimalist background. Is that okay? Go for it. Okay. So uh, how did you get to be a first-level character? Why do you have the free time to go adventuring? And <laughs> who, are, who or what are three people, places, or things that you give a good good goddamn about? That's it. Yeah, would do. It'd be, it'd be plenty. Especially plenty
0: combined with the, the personality traits, the bonds, flaws, and ideals that are already listed in, in the player's handbook. You combine those three for, questions for sure. with those things, and you've got a
1: pretty fleshed-out character. Yep. That second question, Brian, that made me laugh. That makes me think of that meme that's like, in games you can, you can achieve your fantasies, and it's a screen grab of some RPG game that says, you wake feeling well-rested. How yeah. <laughs> the hell do you have time for all this? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Accurate. absolutely absolutely all right i'm gonna go ahead and call that the end of the episode then i want to put a thank you out there to our sponsor skullsplitterdice.com slash show. go there get and use the coupon code Show. get 15 percent off some really awesome dice i also want to thank ohinio slash dm jazzy hands
1: that's me. That's you.
0: Welcome. Uh, I, I'm glad that you've been Thanks. been able to come on the show. Uh, I'm excited to have you here and I hope that we have a chance to bring you back in another time. Um, while okay. we're saying the th- yeah, while we're saying the thank yous, uh, where can people go to find, find more of you and, and, and what you are up to?
1: Yeah. Uh, easiest place is to hop on Twitter and follow me at at DM Jazzy Hands. Uh, you can also follow my uh, main content creation source, which is my uh, pod, actual play podcast, The Last Refuge. We're on Twitter at at DND Last Refuge, uh, or you can just go to our website, dndlastrefuge.com. Uh, I also, most of my streaming these days, uh, I'm taking a break right now to do the other uh, artist career stuff, but... Uh, starting at the end of next month, I'm going to get back into streaming, uh, going to be streaming a Descent into a campaign, actually, and most of the stuff that I do mm. ends up on the Variant Roles channel, uh, so you can hop onto twitch.tv slash Variant and find me there most weeks.
0: Excellent. Uh, Jeremiah McCoy, where can people go to find out more stuff about you?
2: Well, uh, of course, I've got the website, jeremiahmccoy.com, because I am super imaginative that way. Um, I'm also on Tech tech Noir on Twitter, and I'm fairly commonly posting there about gaming stuff. Occasionally politics, but mostly gaming stuff. Um, I'm on YouTube. Uh, I'm quite often on this channel uh, doing the Monster Psychologist as best I can.
0: And and other
2: episodes uh, like this. Yes. Um, I try my best to be as prolific as I can, given that I have a day job that eats my brain. Ah, day jobs.
0: Darn those day jobs. <laughs> All right. Uh, and Brandis Stoddard, where should people go to, the, to
3: find out what you're up to? Uh, my writing is uh, available uh, weekly on Tribality.com, uh, several times a month on uh, BrandisStoddard.com. And I also uh, write about mostly about D and D, sometimes about other things, on Twitter. Um, and I also have a uh, Patreon uh, that is uh, Brenda Stoddard.
0: Excellent. There you go. So uh, you guys can go check all of their things out. And you, I also want to say thank you to all of you for listening to the show and for supporting us by shopping at our through our affiliate links at Amazon and DMs Guild. Uh, when you click on the links at thetomeshow.com or by being patrons over at patreon.com slash thetomeshow. If you want to reach out to the show, uh, you can email me at thetomeshow at gmail.com. You can tweet at me. I am at S-Q-U-A-C-H, at Squatch. And uh, the Tome Show is at thetomeshow. And that has been episode 325, where we made the backgrounds of characters take center stage. In this episode of...
3: Plot-o, 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 plot-o. I'm on the wall.